Welcome. Thank you for coming. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Sower Church. We're in that lull between Thanksgiving and the Christmas season. So uh, next week there's going to be uh, Christmas stuff around here. Christmas songs are rolling. I don't think we're doing mistletoe this year due to budget cuts, but there's there's a lot of Christmas festivities about to start cooking at our church. So thank you for coming. It's an honor to be with you this morning. I was thinking over this passage and a few questions that help kind of set the stage for us as we look together at the Word of God. And I was wondering about what are, why does it seem like Christianity works for some people and not others? You probably know people that say, yeah, I was Christian. I did that when I was younger. Um, but it seems like there's people that Christianity just seems to click for them and others it doesn't click for them. Other people that do do Christianity, it seems like some people experience like life change, they overcome bad habits, they just grow and they, they adjust and they're different people. And other people that do Christianity, they don't change. No habits change, they're the same person with the Christian trappings. Uh, seasonally times they become Christian. But why does Christianity work for some and not others? And why do some Christians change and grow and others don't? But it seems like regardless of what you've thought or contemplated on this topic that I'm bringing up for us this morning, at some point your Christian walk needs to become real, real, real fast. Some point in life your Christian walk, when push comes to shove, needs to be doing the pushing and the shoving or your Christian walk won't continue on. I've entitled this message, A Winning Walk. And I think we can really see that in this passage of 1 Corinthians 1 verses 1 through 11. If you're following along in our house Bible, you'll see that on page 3. 3.572, page 572 in our house Bibles. Let me uh, read the passage to us, and let's then I'll pray. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, see do not lie to one another. See that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, for all, for Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you that the word of God is alive and active. It can take care of itself. We just need to let it out into our lives, into our congregations, into our personal walk, Lord, into our public walk, God. I said the Word of God will do the work of God and the people of God. Uh, change us, transform us, grow us, Lord. Help us understand what it means to walk with you as a Christian, Lord. And we just need you desperately today and all the days of our lives. I ask that you just instruct us with the Word of God. We just want to humbly put our lives under the Word of God today and see what it is that you, what you're calling us to change and grow in, Lord. We love you and commit today to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so to remind you of last week, the last couple of weeks, last three Sundays, Dan has been going through uh, the beginning of Colossians and laying through important bedrocks, which we're building upon today. They were excellent. We, we looked at false teachers and the false living that comes out of that false theology and that false teachings. 
Um, both the teacher and the lifestyle that the false teaching and false lifestyle has no real power. That was last week, last chapter, the last part of this letter. And then today we're jumping into chapter three. And chapter three that we just read, the beginning of chapter three shifts to a more offensive tone, more aggressive tone. It's trying to take ground and move you forward in your walk with God. I had a pastor friend who uh, was a pastor who retired from being a pastor who was asking me about is church for Christians or non-Christians? And in the conversation, I quickly gave him my answer. But after thinking about it more, I think I've changed my answer a little bit. Is Christ church for Christians or non-Christians? Uh, there seems to be an audience. The primary audience of when you come to church is you and the Lord doing business with God, the Lord. That's your primary audience. And there's a secondary audience. That's your brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow Christians that are in the room. But there's a third audience in the room. And those people that are not Christians, who do not have a walk of God, who think they are or actively are atheists or agnostic, who are here for a variety of reasons, but they're not true believers. I would say this is a warning we should attach to this passage and even this sermon. I think you remember those old infomercials, you know, musicians would say, don't try this at home. Don't try this at home so you don't get sued. There should be a warning on this sermon, on this passage in your Bible. Don't try this if you're not a believer. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, don't try this sermon. It's not for you. It's for other people. The last week's sermon was for people that want to do things under the flesh of man and the, the energy and effort of man without Christ. We turn the chapter to chapter three, which is for Christians who have the spirit of God in them, who are walking with the God in the spirit of God. This is for true believers, authentic believers. If you do do this sermon and you are successful and you do it without Christ and the spirit of God, You'd, you'll become an incredibly religious, proudful person. You'll become a legalist. This sermon is not designed for non-believers. This passage is not designed for non-believers. So looking at this passage, uh, verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so the main First point of why some Christians walk of God seems to be winning and others Christians walk of God is losing is they're not setting their mind on truth. They're not striving to gain truth. If you're a biblical grammar man or woman, you'll notice that this seek and keep seeking is a better translation and an intense imperative present intense imperative verse, the word that means seek and keep seeking the things of God. Keep and keep seeking the things of God. I think our English Standard Bible says just set your mind on the things that are above on this earth that you've died for. It's not as, in, it's not as clear. But there's, there's your emotions, your heart, your passions as a person. You're seeking and keep and continuously seeking different things right now in life in the year 2022. You're seeking and continuing to seek different variety of things. It could be leisure, hobby, pleasure, your career, your family, vacations, your car, paying off debts, whatever it is, you have an intense focus on something. Paul, the author of this passage, says to seek and keep seeking the things of God. Your emotions, your heart, your passion should be on the things of God. There should be an intense, intentional, focused disposition of your heart on what is next in your life. We're supposed to think on the things that are above where Christ is, is what we should be thinking of. And if you're a, if you ever talk to a financial broker and they're trying to help you think for retirement, think for an older you, when you're 80, 70, 60 year old you, who's not working as much as you're working now, you're supposed to be saving money for a future day, a future life when you're 
physically weaker, mentally not as sharp as you once were, and you need help, you need finances, you should make decisions now for that day. And a financial broker is going to sit there across from you and just really try to convince you that someday, yes, you will get old. And someday you will have expenses. And someday you will need to save for those expenses as an older man, an older woman. And that is a hurdle. That is a challenge to make young people think of an older them. This is a step beyond an old you. This is a step off the alive to dead cliff where you are no longer around and you're living and thinking for the next life. Thinking of the life of eternity in mind. It's an even tougher sell. It makes sense that people in the city of Lincoln, in our culture, where we live in, that is all around us, is living for the here and now. Because the theology of this city, this world, is to live for the here and now. There is no then and there. It's not when you're 70 and 80, that's the good life, best life now. Best life now is the good life, and it's happening right now. People all around you are living for the here and now. They're making decisions with their emotions, their passions, their time, their talent, their treasure for the here and the now, right now. And that makes sense. That's intellectually honest. But we, you, we are with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. We're rising with Christ, like all of chapter 2 is talking about. You do not live for the here and the now. You live for the then and there with Christ. Your focus should be on then and there. So I ask you, when your thoughts drift to, what do your thoughts drift to when you're all alone? Is it Christ? Is it Christ exalted and throne in heaven where he's giving out rewards to his followers? Is that what your mind and your thoughts drift to? When you're alone, when you're, what consumes your thoughts when you have leisure time or free time? Is it the here and the now? Or is it the then and the there? So a lot of you all went shopping this last couple days. And Black Friday, my son and I went to Black Friday shopping. We bought a few toys for his siblings. He's a, he's a good, better brother than I was. Monday is tomorrow. That's Cyber Monday. That's where you do the same thing just online. And they get shipped to your house and then porch pirates steal it from you. Um, Tuesday is called Giving Tuesday. That's happening or that just happened? That's happening, right? Giving Tuesday. So think about this. We have a wealthy, generous bazillionaire that is going to match anything you contribute on Tuesday only with 10 times the value. That's God the Father in heaven. He's going to reward you for every good deed, every, every cup of cold water, all the righteous things you do here on life, what you do and what you don't do here and now. God the Father rewards you then and there. Well, that's not just a Tuesday deal. That's an everyday deal for the Christian who's walking with God. So why does Christianity work for some and not for others? How come some Christians overcome bad habits, change and grow, and others don't? There's an intense, there's a focused intentional intentionality to their walk of God. They set their minds on truth. They strive to gain truth. Their, their mind is focused on Christ as the main passion of their life. The throne of Jesus Christ is their main purpose they're living for. Well, they hope to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. There's a focused intentionality, meaning that the meaning of their life is found in Christ. Because the reality is, if you don't do that, you don't live with that purpose, that passion, that meaning of Christ being premier in your life, something else will become premier of your life. There's another throne you're focused on, another person sitting on that throne you're bowing down to. We cannot be neutral as people. Our hearts will not stay passive. We will worship something. The human mind, the mental pursuits, your main purpose and meaning will never stay passive. So focus your mind intentionally on Christ and Christ on his throne. Look with me at verse 2. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So think deliberately, Christian. Why do some Christians walk with God, seem to win, and others don't? They need to, they need to think deliberately. They need to concentrate their mind. Honestly, could have probably combined these first two points. You know, could have, could have combined these two points as one main point. But I want to break it out just to make us really spend the time here. So think deliberately. Set your mind on things that are above. I remember when I first became a pastor like nine some years ago, I, I was a news junkie and I listened to a lot of news and I knew it was breaking that morning, breaking that hour. Somehow I stayed plugged into the news. That's before the fear news took over. It was actually a little more normal news. Um, but at the time, I, I just think I had some vanity in life. and I like to be able to ask other guys about what do you think about this? What are we going to do about that? And they're like, well, what are we talking about? That's, you know, but nowadays news is way more intense. Uh, but my mind... Nowadays, I had to step out of news. Uh, my mind nowadays, if you think about here and now, it really consumes you with fear, anxiety, dread. So I've kind of disconnected from the news world. And I'm trying to set my mind on the things that are above. I'm thinking deliberately and taking practical steps to realize that there's only so much real estate in my attention spans in the mornings as I start my day. And I need to think deliberately, set my mind on the things that are above. The reality is, when you think deliberately about you need to think about how you think if you're thinking deliberately. To set your mind, like this passage encourages to, is really specific here. We all will encounter truth. Everyone in this room is going to encounter truth today. There's the way you're living and there's truth. And there's three ways that we, there's two ways you can go and we're all currently in three different spots. So step number one is the wise person. When the wise person is walking along with their walk of God and the truth of God's life shines into their life and they realize they're out of bounds in an area of their life. They don't change the boundaries. They change what they're doing. Does that make sense? They're walking with God they're like, oh, I'm getting off track. I'm going to respond to truth and stay on track. They are following and marching and following Christ. And when the truth of life is shining in their life, they adjust their life to the truth because the truth is king. Over here, an evil person, they're walking along. And then when the truth of God is shined on their life, whether out of step or out of bounds in something they're doing, they don't change their life. They change the truth. They take the truth of God's word, the truth of what God tells us clearly in his word, and they try to make it confusing. They try to massage it. They try to manipulate it so that they don't have to change. God has to change. And then there's a bunch of the rest of us. We're fools, the Bible says. We're either, we have one step in an evil path, and one step in a right path, a, a wise path, and it's how we respond to the truth of God's life light on us. If we respond correctly, we respond biblically, we respond like a wise man or woman, or we respond evil and foolishly, we, we become more and more evil. And so all of us are going to think deliberately about how to think about when we encounter truth. We all are going to encounter truth. And the truth changes or you change. You don't get to like pick and choose things. You change or the truth changes. Uh, we need to think deliberately, Christians. We need to make a plan and work your plan. You have 35 days. 35 days until the new year, 2023. If you all start your New Year's resolutions now, you can run out of steam and re-fire re them up again in January. But let's just talk about Bible reading, which really impacts truth. If you read the Bible four or more days a week, there's a significant change, Barna Research says, on, on how you think, how you feel, your emotions, your, your financial life, your relational life, your emotional health, your sexual health, your, every part of your life is impacted when you're impacted by the Word of God. When you're four or more days a week involved in engaging with the truth. If we set our minds deliberately, think deliberately about the Christian life, the Christian plan, 
You have 35 days to make a plan, Christian. 35 days to work your plan. Think deliberately at how you're going to get God's truth into your life. How you're going to, like Paul says, set your mind on the things that are above, not the things of this earth, that are of this earth. It is so easy to have our attention be here, not there. That doesn't take a lot of faith to look around and be excited or look around and be discouraged. That takes no vision, no faith. If you want to be one of those Christians of a winning walk, you need to think deliberately at how you think. And Paul continues on, For you have died. Think of yourself as a dead person who's died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. How are you going to set your mind on the things that are above in 2023? Why does Christianity work for some and not for others? Why do some Christians overcome bad habits, grow and change, and others don't? They're thinking. They're thinking deliberately or they're not thinking deliberately about truth. Concentrate your mind on Christ, the greatest truth ever. All deliberate thinking will lead you into worshiping Christ. If you're sitting there and you're like, coding for Christ and you're typing and coding like, wow, there's order, there's structure, this happens and this happens, there's cause and effect everywhere, there's languages of talking to computers and just you're working all day on coding. At the end of a work week, if you're thinking of Christ and setting your mind on Christ, you'd be like, wow, that's cool that man made that and that's how man communicates. But God made it so that I can read stuff and translate into my brain and I can speak it through my mouth. And God made a way more impressive computer, my brain, and God's made a way more impressive order of cause and effect in my life and how I communicate and how things happen. As we, as we discover any field, you discover like lasers in blood, like our grad assistant was doing a couple years ago. He saw Christ in how lasers interact with blood. Or you talk to another person whose whole career is built around, you know, rehabilitating hurt people with physical therapy and how they see Christ out in that work. When, you, when you're thinking of God as your main pursuit, you're thinking deliberately about God, you're focused intensely on Christ, you start to see Him in all of your life. And it gives you meaning for your work. Let's look at verse 5 together. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in your sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them. And so for verse 5 through 7, I would group these together and I'd say act ruthlessly. And I like this word, and some of you don't like this word. But I, I do really think people who have a winning walk with, with Christ, have a winning walk with God, they have a different disposition towards sin than others that don't. They're willing to do anything and everything when it comes to a fight between them and their sin. But remember, my disclaimer at the beginning, this is not a man-made, woman-made flesh of people killing the flesh in you. This is not a little religious Pharisee talking, a little religious zealot talking. This is a person who's compelled by a love of God and the power of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God to do the work of you know, changing your life but they act ruthlessly towards sin. Verse 5, and then later on in verses 8 and 9, there's two different lists of sin that Paul lays out for us. This verse 5 list of sin talks about things you feel and do. There's sensual sins. There's probably like modern day social media and modern day entertainment is, can fall into these, these sins. Or however else you need to understand these sins. But they're more sensual sins with what you feel and what you do. I was watching a movie with my wife exploring vid angel and how that can work in our world. We saw a movie 
It wasn't a crazy movie. There's nothing bad about it. But we thought, this is a good movie. We should watch it for our kids. We should use VidAngel. And as we, you know, you can calibrate, like, how much violence do I want? How much cursing do I want? How much, you know, everything do I want? You can cut any scene out of any movie. And it's like eight bucks a month. So we're like, this is pretty cool. Let's try this out as a family. We heard about it from some of you. And so we took, well, how much cursing do you want? Well, let's put that to zero. We're watching this movie. And I was like, what's happening? Every couple of minutes, they're, bl they're blank, you know, blanking out little scenes of this thing. You're like, this is, this is, this is, this is strange at first. And then I was like, oh my goodness. I watched this with my wife the night before, and that's not what I noticed in the movie. I noticed a different part of the movie. I was like, we don't want that part in the movie. So we did the vidange thing. It's amazing how you become inoculated by things. How things just creep into your life. And as followers of Christ, we want to have a winning walk of God. We need to act ruthlessly. You're like, Mike, that's just too, that's too crass. That's too in your face. I mean, Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter eternity with one, without an eye or out of hand instead of enter eternity with, you know, instead of enter hell with both eyes and both hands. I'm like, that's Jesus talking about sin. He was all in. He acted ruthlessly, strategically, and cunningly to destroy and dismantle death, sin, Satan, to allow you to have access to God. He was all in, and he acted ruthlessly to get you. The world, the devil, and the flesh, they're acting ruthlessly in your life. Sin's consequences in your life is ruthless, how it destroys, like a cancer just grows and takes over things. People have a winning walk of God. When they see sin, they want to respond like a wise person. They don't want to manipulate and change the truth so they can continue their sin. They want to act ruthlessly to dismantle and disembark from sin. Christians, this is important. Our relationship with sin cannot be one where we coddle sin, where we, we contemplate sin, where we, we coach sin around in our lives to not be here, but to be here. We need to kill sin. We need to act ruthlessly towards sin. That passage says, put to death, therefore, and it goes into this list. Put to death. Put to death. That's important. That matters. Put to death. And it goes through this list of sins, men and women. Christ has some very strong words on this. So why does Christianity work for some and not for others? How come some Christians overcome bad habits, grow and change, and others don't? Some Christians act ruthlessly and some Christians don't when it comes to their sin life. That's a reality. And actions have consequences. Look at us at verse 4. I mean 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but all, but Christ is all and in all. I know the rest of this chapter talks more about this concept, but why do some people have a winning walk of God and others don't? Some people pick a winning team. And there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of more that's going to be said about this in a future week here. But we, we need to be together, Christians. But you have put it away, away from your mouth. It goes into this list of sins again. These are more, this is what you say. These are socially acceptable sins. You can see this in political commentary. You can see this in just the way we speak about each other as a culture, as a society, how we talk. But this is a list of sins that if you did these sins at a dinner party, people wouldn't tolerate it. 
You said things in wrath or slander or gossip or obscene things come out of your mouth. You say things in anger. People don't respond the same way as they do the first list of sins. You might not be ashamed of sinning the second list, eight and nine, than you would the first list of sins. But this is part of our walk of God. This is part of what it means that we need to put off and put on. This put off and put on, this is a, this is a mark of a mature Christian. They get this habit down. Putting off and putting on. It could be like your work clothes and your, your sleeping home clothes. Or this could be like your military gear and your non-military gear. But this language of changing clothes and putting off an old life and putting on a new life is key. And this is, follows along what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks about how we were baptized with Christ, how we were dead with Christ, we rise with Christ. We looked at earlier this morning. But there's language here of changing clothes. In, scholars remind us of Easter morning after Jesus defended, defeated the grave and rose from the dead on resurrection morning. He took off his grave clothes and left them in the tomb. And they're folded up nice and neat and he went off to his glorified life, glorified body. Do you get what I'm saying? This whole picture of putting off the old and putting on the new is a reality to people who have a winning walk of God. And they need to pick a winning team to come around them. Why? Why, Mike? Well, because the reality is our theology and our liveology have, they influence each other. I cannot, my liveology will influence my theology and my theology will impact my liveology. The hypocrisy and truth can't cohabitate forever in your minds. Eventually, you will pick one of them to be your master. What, you, what you're experiencing and what you know in your head. One will eventually move out and one will eventually set up shop and take over your entire life. You will abandon one eventually and you can't live in duality forever. Your, see, your choices will become habits in your life and habits in your life will become addictions in your life and your addictions will define your whole entire lifestyle in life. So let's go through that again. My habits of Bible reading is a choice that becomes a habit and that habit becomes an addiction, a good addiction, and that addiction becomes a part of my lifestyle. Let's do it in the negative context. Your habit of gossip, your choice of gossiping will become a habit and that, that habit of gossip will become an addiction and an addiction will define your entire lifestyle. It doesn't stay stagnant. These choices multiply and grow as you grow and grow older. Years of good habits and bad habits add up. We reap what we sow, Christians. Your choices develop chronic life-altering patterns for good and for evil. So why does a Christian, why does a Christian, why does Christianity work for some and not for others? And how come some Christians overcome bad habits and change and grow and others don't? Some Christians don't pick winning teams. They pick the team of self as their companion on this walk with Christ. They pick their phone as a, their accountability partner. They pick search engine optimization, YouTube, Google stuff as their pastor which is an evil pastor and not a good pastor. I heard rhetoric growing up of just me and my Bible. All I need is me and my Bible. And honestly, that's a, that's a, a recipe for a narcissist and a losing team. You, yourself, and I and your Bible. That, that's, that's like chronic hist Christian history of people getting led astray. We need to surround ourselves with a winning team. Here's a, here's a photo of how people think about their relationships. When we talk about winning teams and relationships, your, your best friends, most of you have about three to five best friends that are super close in your life. And if you go to one tier beyond that, you have really good friends, about 12 to 15. And then your tribe, the mental limits of what you can wrap your arms around is about 150 people are your tribe. And then everyone else, 
So let's go through this in our church's lens. Your best friends is your discipleship group of three to five guys or three to five girls that you meet with every other week, God willing. Your friends is your community group, the people you actually like hanging out with. If the Bible's not opened and they aren't even talking about God and Jesus and Christianity, do you want to hang out with those people? Are they your friends? Yes. Yes, they are. We do open Bibles and do talk about God, Jesus, and Christianity. But that's our community groups, our friends tribe. And then the tribe, that's about a service on Sunday morning of one of our services. Does that make sense? That's just how we wrap around our minds on these relationships of picking a winning team. So men and women, invite accountability into your lives from your best friends. Not, not everyone else. Not your tribe. Go to your best friends. I heard this line. I think it's great. You only need four to five people to carry your, your casket out. And you only need a handful of people to eulogize you and read, your, read a couple of blurbs you write up. Develop a really core group of best friends. And the idea is that they stay with you for the long haul. Invite accountability from these men and women that are in your lives. Men, I think I did like six of those men's uh, purity groups. And I said, I got to delegate this thing. This is a lot. And so I think that was a while ago. And now I think there's four men's uh, purity groups that meet throughout the week. They're really good. They're doing great A stuff compared to what I was doing. <laughs> I'm saying it's grown and gotten better. Thank you, Jesus, for men's skilled work at that. But there should be a world where you confess your sins to your discipleship group, and your discipleship group can speak into your life. They can pray for you. They can hold you accountable. They can ask you how things are going. They can contact you and reach out to you throughout the weeks as you don't see each other every day. You should have a life where you, there's no secrets of people that are your best friends. Pick a winning team, Christian. So why does Christianity work for some and not for others? And how come some Christians overcome bad habits, change and grow, and others don't? Well, I think there's a focused intentionality. There's a, they think deliberately about their walk of God. They act ruthlessly towards sin. And they are intentionally on a winning team. But none of this, none of this is possible with you, yourself, and I. Chest pounding, the flesh does not beat the flesh, Christian. This is for people who love the Lord, love the Word of God, are freshly filled and walking in the Holy Spirit, and who are humbly walking before God, who, who are doing this all under the power of Christ. Christ's name is listed five times throughout this passage we looked at today. Christ's name, if you did that exercise as a community group, Christ's name in him, for him, through him, with him, all throughout the chapter 2 leading up to this morning's passage, only way any of this is possible is because of the work of Jesus Christ in your life. It's not the work of self. It's the work of a Christ-centered theology which impacts a Christ-centered liveology. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you that you came and you defeated what we can never defeat. And you conquered what we can never conquer. And you allow a relationship with you, Lord. Nothing that we can never accomplish on our own. We just need you desperately to, to settle us down and, and grow us up, Lord, into becoming a godly man and a woman. We commit the rest of the day to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.